Good morning, everybody. Woohoo! How are you guys doing this morning? It's been a good morning so far, hasn't it? Really has been. Love seeing all your faces. I agree. This is, seeing the place being filled up by your faces is an amazing thing. I praise God for it. And hopefully we can see more and more people come into this place and be encouraged. So, yeah. Well, we are going through the Word of God. For those of you who don't know, um, if it's your first time here, what we're doing is we're going through the Word of God in five years' period of time. And how we do that in our church is we read the Word of God together six days a week, and then that seventh day, when we come together uh, on Sunday, our sermons are based upon what we've read the previous week. And right now, we're in the Psalms, and we're not reading the Psalms in order. So if you're new with us today, uh, we have bookmarks that have the daily readings of what Psalms we're reading. We're categorizing the Psalms to get the most out of them, to understand them a little bit better, uh, so that as we read them in the future, we'll have a better understanding of what's going on in the Psalms and how that points to Jesus and how that helps us as believers in Christ. And so um, I would encourage you guys to get those bookmarks if you haven't got them already. They're going to take us all the way almost through August because the Psalms obviously are the longest book in the Bible. Um, And right now we're doing, this week was the book of, uh, was a week of laments, of individual laments. And what a lament is, is this crying out to God because of an injustice or something is going wrong, and they're crying out to God for relief and for help. And this is an individual, meaning that it's people who are being affected by it. This whole month is going to be filled with um, different types of laments, of, of um, imprecatory. That's going to be an interesting one when we get to that. But this is going to be a hard month to get through. I'm just trying to prepare you ahead of time because all the categories are not your fun categories. We're going to get to the amazing categories here at the end. We're going to, we're going to leave on a, on a very high note when we get to there. But right now we're in the, we're in the muddled middle, if you will. Okay, So that, that's kind of where we're at right now. And today the sermon is titled, from our reading, what to do when God feels distant. What to do when God feels distant. How many of you have gone through a hard time and you've questioned God going through that hard time? Questioned why he feels so distant or not near or not even there at all. Anybody felt that way? And we live in a weird society right now because our society is, is going insane. Would you guys agree with me? Our society is absolutely going insane. And one of the things that's happening, what is valued in our society, some of the, some of the attributes of things that are valued in society uh, on the surface seem like they make sense until you think about it like just a little bit. For example, one of the things that is valued in our society is questions. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing when you think of that in and of itself. Questions, especially good questions, should be valued, right? Because if we want to know answers to questions, we have to ask the right questions, correct? And so having good questions to ask can be a good thing. But our society has taken this to a very huge extreme because of the fact that they do not believe in absolute truth. 
So questions are actually, in our society's view, more valuable than answers. And when you think of it in that way, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's better to question everything than to have an absolute answer that would be binding for everybody. Because to have a binding absolute answer for everybody is deemed intolerant and bigoted. And we don't want to pigeonhole anybody. You can be whatever you want, whoever you want. You can feel however you want. This solution has no real answer, so make up your own. It's better to have a good question than to actually have an answer. Think about it. Can you tell anybody what gender they are? Sounds crazy, right? Would have been crazy 10 years ago. But this whole month is a celebration of, an, of somebody who's saying, I can't give you a, a straight answer to what gender you are. How crazy is that? And to do so would be bigoted, wouldn't it? To absolutely say you are a male or you are a female is to be bigoted. How crazy is that? And when we have that type of viewpoint in our culture, when hard times happen to you and I and we're only left with questions and no answers... Does that lead us, do you think, intuitively toward God or away from Him? And I would venture to say that it it intuitively leads away if there are no answers to your questions, if questions are the only thing that we can have without answers. And this is where we come today because I believe that God sometimes feels distant from you and me because of hard things that happen in our life. When things are happening and they're truly, truly hard, and that's what these laments are all about, right? So what these laments do is they bring for you and I into focus this idea of hard times happening to you and me and make it harder for us to see God because of our circumstance. How do we keep the faith when all of us are going to go through those times? There's not a single person in here who will not go through a hard time where it feels like God is distant, that God is away from you. And I want to focus today on the last two psalms that we read this past week because they, they implement this idea of lament. Because if you've been reading, one of the things that all of the psalmists had this week is they were all going through a hard time. And many of them questioned why God was away from them. How did the people who wrote these psalms, inspired by the Holy Spirit, deal with that? What can we learn from that? How are we supposed to live through those things? So let's look together. We're going to be looking at Psalm 44 and Psalm 71. And we're really going to be going back and forth to both of these. So get your finger on one of them. Find the other one. And we're going to be flipping back and forth. I'm going to get you, let you go there just a second. Okay? In Psalm 44, they both enter. They both have the same pattern, if you will. So Psalm 44, we're going to look at verse 1 and go through verse 8. It says this, We have heard with our ears, O God, 
Our fathers have told us what you did in their days and days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You're my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long. And we will praise your name forever. Selah. And if you flip over to Psalm 71, we're also going to read the first eight verses there. And it says this, In you, O Lord... I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied upon you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I've become like a a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. So what we see in the beginning of both of these psalms is a recollection, a foundation of faith that the psalmist is hearkening back to. This is who I am, O God. In Psalm 44, I don't trust in myself. I already know that we didn't win this land by our strength. It was by you, O God, O sovereign Lord. You have done this. In Psalm 71, we have a more personal psalm. It says, look, you've been my strong refuge. You are the one that I hope in. No matter what is going on in my life, I will worship. I will trust in you. Before we walk into the lament of what's going wrong in their lives, what they do first is they establish the God in whom they're serving. God, I, I serve you. I worship you. I have worshiped you. I'm going to worship you. I don't trust in myself. My foundation of faith is in you and in you alone. Let me ask you a question. When you are going through a hard time, is your first idea to go to God and say, God, I've been faithful. I want to walk with you. I want to to do what you have told me to do. I've been walking with you faithfully this whole time. Do we normally do that? I I don't do that. Maybe I'm just speaking for me, right? Like, oh God, why is this happening to me? What's going on around me? How many of you are the same way? Four of you raised your hand. You these psalms of lying next week. You know, seriously, we, we go through hard times and all of a sudden we're, we're at the feet of God. We're not talking about our faithfulness to him or what he's done for us. We're not reminding ourselves any of those things. The first thing we do is we just jump into the lament portion of things, the complaint of God. Oh, why am I going through this? Why did Clemson lose the national championship? All those different things, right? I don't understand.
Where we should start is a reminder of where our faith lies. When things are going bad, the first thing we ought to do, even before we lay our complaint before God, which is okay. These are Psalms. These are the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. He is fine with our complaints. But I also think he wants to be reminded that he's the one who is Lord of all. And it does our heart good to remember those foundations of faith. Lord, I'm serving you. I am walking with you. I'm doing, trying to do your will. Yes, I'm going through this hard time. But God, I want you to know I am walking with you through this time. I think it's important we remind ourselves of that. Of our foundation of faith should be the first thing we bring to recollection to God. Not for his sake. Like he doesn't know. It's for our sake. It's the psalmist's sake. He's writing this out as a complaint before God, but he's saying, God, I've served you. I don't trust in myself. I've served you this whole time. I want to continue to serve you. But there are things that are going on right now, and I don't fully understand, but first and foremost, you're God. You're overall. I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to say that first. Before I launch into the woe is me part. Which is the next part. And it's valid. You and I are going to go through hard times. Every single one of us are going to go through hard times. And I love putting these two psalms together because they have two different complaints in there that all of us have to face. So let's read those real quick. Psalm 44, going back to that, starting in verse Nine. And one of the things you'll notice is the complaint in Psalm 44 is much longer than the complaint in Psalm 71. But now, you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep. You've scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance. Gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors. The scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. My disgrace is before me all day long. And my face is covered with shame. At the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this happened to us, although we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals and covered us over with deep darkness. If we'd forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust and our bodies cling to the ground. You know, in in this first complaint that we see in Psalm 44... At this time, Israel is being oppressed at a time of seemingly faithfulness, right? It seems like the nation as a whole and the people as a whole are at least known for their faithfulness and they're going through a hard time where the enemy has 
put them down, scattered them. This is not the way it's supposed to be. If if there was bad stuff on my lips, would you not know that? I mean, at that point, it would be all right. God, why is all of this happening? We've been faithful. Every single one of you who calls yourself a believer in Jesus Christ are going to go through hard times where it seems like, hey, I've been faithful during this time. Why am I going through a hard time now? I don't know if it's financial or relational. It doesn't matter. You and I are going to deal with stuff like that. Every single believer in Christ. And during those times, we're going to feel exactly like the psalmist felt here. God, I've been faithful. Why is this happening to me? God, I I tithe this week for a change. I'm just joking. I've been trying to do what you've asked me to do in everything, and it's not getting easier. It's getting harder. And it causes us to question, right? God, are you really there? What's, What's going on? I thought if I was serving you, you were promising me blessing because of my relationship with Christ, because of what you did for me on the cross. Every single one of you are going to deal with that. Every single one of you are going to deal with that. And in a world where questions are valued more than answers, they're going to try and drag you away saying those are good questions, but if God were really there, wouldn't he have answered you according to your faith? Right? Their answer isn't faith, it's just more questions. Those questions are to be valued. They would tell you. But they're to be valued in such a way that just kind of proves that there is no God and there is no truth. So kind of do what you want to with it. The psalmist isn't there, by the way. The psalmist is appealing to his faith in God to begin with and laying out his complaint saying, what's going on, God? I don't understand why I'm suffering. And every single one of us will go through that. Every single one of us. No exceptions. So if you come here today looking for hope to get out of a situation, I can't guarantee that for you. I just can't because the faithful go through those situations in as much as the unfaithful do. They may be different situations, to be sure. Psalm 71 looks a little bit different. And again, something we're going to go through. Verse 9. Do not cast me away when I'm old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him. For no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly. Oh my God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. This one's a little bit more personal. The other one was was talking about, hey, as a nation, we've been faithful and, and yet our enemies are oppressing us. God, what's going on here? This one's a little more personal. This was, you know, don't be away from me when I'm, when I'm old, when my strength is gone. 
when my enemies, my personal enemies want to devour me, to slander me, to kill me, to, to make everything go bad for me. Let me tell you guys something. All of you are going to get old. Lord willing, right? Lord willing, all of you are going to get old. I remember talking to Mike Hatchell, and I was sharing with him a few of my problems as I was growing older, and he looked at me and said, you hadn't seen nothing yet. (laughs) You remember that conversation? I sure do. I've never forgotten that conversation. And yet at the same time, how many of us, when our bodies begin to break down, to feel the effects of sin, we start complaining to God concerning our situation, right? When our strength begins to fail us, when we can't do what we used to do. Man, I'm talking to 30-year-olds who are saying, I can't eat what I used to eat. Like, welcome to the club. That diet gets more restrictive as you get older, you know? Or you just decide not to feel good because you really want to eat that, Right? And all of us feel the effects of it. And none of it is pleasant to walk through. These are the effects of sin on this world. Do you realize that? The effects of sin on you and me is our bodies breaking down over time. It's going to happen to every single one of us if we don't die in some other way. And you know what? When we start to go through it, it doesn't feel natural, it doesn't feel normal, and there's nothing more natural than that effect of sin, right? Nothing more natural. And we can blame God and cry out, God, why am I going through this? Why is this so hard? Why am I going through? Why is my body not working for me? I want to use my body for your sake and for your name's sake. Don't abandon me when my strength is gone. Can you hear the psalmist cry on a personal level? One that every single one of us in some form or fashion will face as the ravages of time and the sinfulness and fallenness of this world catch up with every one of us. You think good questions are going to be good at that time? just want to ask really good questions right now. Don't really need an answer, I just want questions. It's not very comforting, is it? doesn't really help the situation any. It's just something the body does. No hope, no truth, no answers. Lots of questions only designed to make you do what you want to do in spite of what God would want you to do through Christ. If there's no truth and there's no God, then who cares how I live, right? But if there's no truth and there's no God, then where are the answers to these complaints that we're hearing from the psalmist, right? There are none. There are only questions. And so we look at the response from the psalmist in, in both of these areas, and, and it's amazing to me because one's very short and the other one's longer, but they're both important. Psalm 44, 26, as we move to the next part, so we've moved from our foundation of faith, we've moved to our complaint about things that are going wrong in our lives, whether personally or culturally or whatever, right? And Psalm 44 ends, ends with this one verse, right? And this is what it says, verse 26, 
Rise up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. There's a plea to God right here. Rise up, help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. And, And why is that? Because he's appealing back to the covenant that was made to the people of Israel. Those first five books of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy that talks about this is a covenant, chapters 28 through 30 especially, that says, you know what, if you are faithful to me, I will bring you back out. I will defeat those who are oppressing you. I will make a blessing on your land. These are the promises given to Israel. And so when we see the laments that are going on, especially in 44, he's saying, we've been faithful. And you've promised according to your covenant that you have made with us that if we as a people are faithful, you are going to come in and fulfill and bring us out of this misery. And so this appeal here at the end is an appeal back to this covenantal relationship that God had with Israel at that time saying, we're being oppressed, but we've been faithful. And God, according to your covenant, if we are faithful, you're going to lift us out of this. And so it's only one verse because the complaint is long, but that one verse is hanging on the hope that God is true to his covenant. That's important. That's so important. And we read the same thing on a personal level in Psalm 71. So we go to Psalm 71 and we look at the end and it's a much longer ending. Verse 14. But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God, you who have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? Though you have made me see troubles and many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long, for those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. I love that, the ending of that psalm. Don't you guys? All day long, I'm going to praise you. Bad things happening to me, I'm going to praise you more and more. My body not working for me, people speaking against me, I'm going to praise you, God. I'm not going to forget what you've done for me. I'm not going to forget of your righteous acts. I'm not going to forget how you've redeemed me. I don't even know the depths of your mercy and grace, oh God. Man, what an attitude, right? Despite going through a hard time. Uh, My lips shall not cease praising you until I can tell the next generation of your goodness, of your love, of your mercy, of what you've done, of all of your righteous deeds. Man, that's, 
somewhere, what, where's the hard time, right? It kind of went away because he's just thinking about all that God has done in the midst of it. Please understand, we're looking at 44 and 71. Important things to note, in both cases, neither has been delivered from what's going on right now. When this has been said, when this is written down by the Holy Spirit, there are hard things going on personally in 71 and nationally in 44 that have not been resolved yet. And they hearken back to the promises of God and what he's done. They look back to remember what God has brought them through. How many times has God delivered you? How many things has he seen you through? How many times because of his faithfulness, it's not yours, not a single one of us can stand in front of the throne of God based upon our righteousness or our faithfulness. If that were the case, Jesus wouldn't have to die for you and wouldn't have to die for me. Not because of my righteousness or my faithfulness, because of his. His good will to redeem you and I through Christ on the cross because of what he has done. Do we have eternal life for those who believe? And how many times has he, have we ended up in praise because he's brought us through? Something. Somewhere. Financially relationally, personally, with our jobs, with conflict that we had with somebody. And the problem sometimes with our laments, not the psalmist's laments, is that we complain to God without ever remembering his faithfulness. We complain to God about all the things that are going on in our life right now, because right now is all that matters to us. Right? And with you and I complaining about what happens right now, we're ready to give up on God. We're ready to throw away all that he's done for us, every act of faithfulness that has been undeserved on our part and graciously given on his. And we're ready to say, Psh, because you're not here right now, because I, I have that, you know, I have that easy button from Staples. Press that button. That was easy. Something just happens, right? That, that's how we treat God. At least in our lives when bad things happen. You and I have bad stuff. Well, God's not there for me. But we don't remember all the times he has been there. We don't commit to praise him more and more. See, this comes out in both of these cases. It comes out of a heart of commitment, one hearkening back. Like, we're being faithful, God. Now we're, we're calling on you to be faithful because we trust you to be faithful. Rise up. Do what you've promised that you would do. And in 71, on the personal level, I, when that trouble comes, when I get old, when there's no strength in my arms and adversaries are all around me, oh, God, I'm going to praise you more and more till everybody knows what the great things that you have done for me in the midst of my trouble. What a different way of looking at things, right? And both of them calling back to the covenant of Israel 
And it's not really any different for us today. Did you know in our reading this week, of course, you, if you watch the videos that we're doing online right now, you will have known this because you will have seen me break it down. One of the Psalms that we quoted is actually quoted in the New Testament. We're going to look at that together. And it's all in talking about suffering. How ironic, right? That this same idea of suffering that, that the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 44 is what Paul refers to by the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. Because we're going to get a greater perspective and see all of these same things that are for us today as believers in Christ. Should totally change our perspective. So Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So this is the context. This is the whole setting up the section of scripture that we're reading. It starts with this thought. Our present sufferings. This is not a good time we're going through right now. We are going through a hard time. And Paul is living in a time that is very similar. Our culture is becoming more and more like this Roman culture every single day. So what we're seeing here, what's being encouraged by, to the Roman believers who were there at the time, should be a better encouragement to us today than it was to them. Because guess what? We're living it all over again. We really are. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that's seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently." Hold this thought for just a moment. Those of you who know Jesus, you're saved. But the redemption of our bodies hasn't happened yet. The effects of sin that are going to ravage this body until Jesus comes back or until we go to him, and the resurrection of the righteous are, are redeemed where our bodies will no longer fail us, That hasn't happened yet. That's a hope for the future. Those of you thinking it's going to happen now, I'm sorry, unless you see Jesus in the sky. Nope. It won't happen to you. It won't happen to me. Our bodies are going to decay. Our bodies are are going to perish on this earth. If your hope is in your body doing well all the way until you die... There's no promise for that anywhere. Our hope is in the resurrection of Christ. That which we have not received yet. That he purchased for us. That his resurrection in and of itself is the down payment, if you will. It's the guarantee 
that this is going to happen because he has shown through his resurrection the power over sin and death. It's that resurrection we're looking forward to. By the way, that's not the same resurrection that all the people that Jesus raised from the dead, all the people Jesus raised from the dead in his earthly ministry did not receive Jesus' resurrection. They all had to die again. Lazarus died again, okay? When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he died again. Little boy and little girl that he raised up from the dead, they died again. The effects of sin were there. Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead because he will never die. He has died to death once and for all, tasted it for us to die on the cross for our sins. We are the ones not worthy. And he is eternally victorious over it. And so our hope is in him when he brings that resurrection on his second coming to you and I. That's a real hope. But we haven't got it yet. We don't hope for something we have. We're hoping for something we're promised to get. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. He who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as the psalmists are referring back to the covenant of God to Israel. Paul is now using that same language as he brings out that same psalm, right, at the end of that passage of Scripture to remind the people who are going through a hard time because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because of the persecution of this world who does not believe in the answer of Christ but only believes in the questions. And he says, you know what? 
For I think that our present struggle, our present sufferings are nothing in comparison to the promise that God has given us. He refers to the covenant that we have. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the old covenant to Israel. And he instituted a new covenant in his blood. One that we celebrate every week here in communion. Every week. And that promise for you and me is that we will have life eternal with him. And yet, Paul is talking about this. In this world, we're going to have all types of problems as believers in Christ. His question right before he quotes the psalmist in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? These aren't fun things to go through. None of them are. These are all hard things along with what we're talking about in the laments with the psalmist. Why are we going through all of this? But he refers to his covenant of love that God is not, is not silent about it. He's not helpless about it. He has already defeated it. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons. Nothing. Your circumstance has nothing to do with God's promise. And as believers in Christ, we have to adopt that and understand that wholeheartedly. These songs of lament are a reminder to you and I that when hard times come, it's not a time for just mindless questioning. The answer is Christ and our faithfulness to him because he has already guaranteed through the resurrection of Christ after he died on the cross for us that we have a hope and a future after this life is over no matter how it ends for us. No matter what we're going through. Man, you know, one of the things that just boggles my mind, because I don't think we think about it enough, is that we sometimes believe a gospel that's not the gospel. That the good news is found in Christ. Because if we really thought about it, Right? If we really thought about the position that we're in in our country right now today, where we do have a lot of freedoms, if we put ourselves in a third world country where preaching the gospel is is a crime, how would our American viewpoint of Christianity translate over there? Not very good, right? Because they're in the midst of it all the time. The only hope that they have is that God's promise of the resurrection of Christ and the redemption of our bodies and that this life is not the end is 100% true. That's all they got. But it's the same hope that we have. It's the only hope that we have because we haven't received that hope yet. And so when hard times come, the answer is still Christ. And it should be proclaimed from our lips from the rooftops. And we should say it to the next generation when they start doubting. Guess what? We never told you bad things weren't going to happen. Well, how does bad things happen to good people? Where do you find in the Bible that it doesn't? My hope isn't that bad things won't happen to good people. My hope is that Jesus has overcome those things through his death on the cross. 
That this place isn't the end. And no matter what demise I have here, whether I grow old and all my body parts fail, or I die some horrendous death, and I'm not wishing either upon myself, but something's going to happen unless Jesus comes back. And my hope is that he comes back and he raises me incorruptible forever to be with him. And he proved it by raising himself from the dead to show us what it was going to be like. Oh, that's who I hope in. That's where my hope is found. Not in whether or not I got this bill and I can't pay it. Not in the fact that I've got this bad news for an incurable disease. You name your circumstance. This world is not our home. This world is not our home. And as we cry out to God in our laments on the bad things that will happen in our lives, our hope, we should remind ourselves, our hope is in the God in whom we serve, who overcame sin, who overcame death on the cross for you and me, and has a future for us. An incorruptible future that can never be dimmed, never fade, can't perish in this world no matter what you do to me because it's not stored here. That's the type of faith that I have in Jesus. It's the only type of faith that the Bible talks about. If you are not a believer in Christ, let me tell you, the hope isn't in this world or that Jesus makes everything better in a heartbeat. He doesn't. But he changes your hope from this world to what he's done on the cross and a future that can never be taken away from you. See, I look forward to that. I hold on to that. It's the only thing that sometimes that keeps me faithful. I'm being honest with you. Because if Jesus didn't do what he did on the cross to secure my future, then I might as well just have the questions. But I'm glad I have the answer. And because I have the answer, you do too, to a world that only knows questions. And I think we're better off for it. I really do. But we have the opportunity to share that answer to a world who needs to know. Let's share with them the truth of Jesus Christ. Let them see us when we're struggling in our moments of lament and complaint before God. And let them see our hope in Christ. That will change the world. Would you stand with me? Does God feel distant from you right now? Did you walk into this place thinking, where's God? I tell my kids all the time, our feelings are fickle, they're fallen, they lie to us, they tell us things that aren't true. We have to inform our feelings with the truth. We have to. And when I look at the psalmist here, What do I see? I see them informing their feelings with the truth. God, it feels like you're abandoning me, but you know what? Rise up because you're the God I serve and I know that this is what you said and though I'm feeling this way right now, I know you are here. I know. Every single one of us need to be reminded of that at times. We need to remind ourselves of those things. If that's you today, let us pray with you because God is near.
God is not distant. He's not far. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's what Jesus said. Guess what? Jesus doesn't lie. So if he doesn't lie, then it's got to be our feelings, right? Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that you are near, even though we might feel like you're distant. Thank you that you are the Lord on this throne, no matter what is happening in our life. Thank you for the reminder, dear Heavenly Father, that no matter what we're going through, whether it be nakedness or famine or sword or persecution, whatever it is that we're going through, we are not separated from the love of Jesus Christ and what you've done for us on the cross. Thank you, O God, that we have a hope reserved for us in heaven that is not dependent upon our circumstances here on earth. Remind us, Lord, when we're going through the crucible to depend on you and cling to you more and more because you are the answer to every question that we're going to have. And if there are some here who have only those questions, I pray that they would find that answer in Christ today. I really do, Lord. And the peace that comes with it that may not change their circumstance but will totally change their eternity. And we thank you, O Lord, for Jesus. It is my goal, my heart's desire to praise you more and more and more no matter what happens in my life. I pray that's everybody's goal today, Lord, so that the world can see Jesus in us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.